May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please do sit down. The slight pause was for me to operate technology. Um, um, In St. John's, the sermons are now recorded and uh, and then I think are available online. Um, Presumably, they're sold to insomniacs, um, uh, which is a way of making funds for Holy Mother Church, which is a a jolly good thing all round. Now, I'm going to ask you to use your imaginations, okay? Okay, this is an Episcopal church. That's not something we're often used to. Use your imaginations. I'm Church of England. Believe me, it's worse. Um, the, uh, use your imaginations, right? Okay, now you need to imagine that instead of being about 225 pounds, I'm about 120 pounds. Okay. You also need to imagine that I'm, instead of being 47 next weekend, I'm actually about 23. Okay, that's less difficult. <laughs> and you also need to imagine that I'm wearing a loincloth. Uh, Counselling will be available afterwards. <laughs> now, um, the reason I'm asking you to do that is I'm going to sing you a little song. Okay, and then you need to, you, you'll see why, if you know the song, when I sing the song, you'll know why I've asked you to imagine me in that way. Okay, uh, ready? <clears throat> I closed my eyes, drew back the curtain to see for certain what I thought I knew. And in the east, the dawn was breaking, and the world was waking, any dream will do. A crash of drums, a flash of light, my golden cloak fell out of sight. The colours faded into darkness, I was left alone. Shall I return to the beginning? The light is dimming, and the dream is too. The world and I, we are still waiting, still hesitating, any dream will do. Why did you have to imagine anything? It's not one of the better ones, I have to say. But that's because I'm not 22 wearing a loincloth and only 120 pounds in weight. Um, what's it from? I know you know Bertie, so put your hand up. Joseph and his amazing Technicolor dream coat. Absolutely. Um, it's a wonderful song. Um, it's a, obviously a Bible story, um, and it's a great story. And uh, Tim Rice and uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber uh, turned it into a musical. Well, we used to sing it when I was at school, so it's quite a long time ago that they turned it um, into a musical. And uh, I love it. I can remember when we had school trips when I was young. We used to go off in the bus or something, and we'd all be singing that. And, uh, and, and, and everybody knew it was a Bible story. And it's, of course, it's a lovely, lovely tale of God's redemption of um, a difficult situation. But it starts, doesn't it, really, really badly. Joseph is a bit of a show-off. Yeah. And then I saw eleven stars, the sun, the moon and sky, all bowing down before my star. It made me wonder why. What a precocious... <laughs> All right, Joseph had this vision that he was going to be an awful lot better than his brothers. And they already didn't like him because he was his dad's favourite. Now, Jacob, 
the old man loved Joseph very much. So how did he show this? Well, he gave him this wonderful coat uh, in the musical, the Technicolored dream coat. And so Joseph wasn't popular with his brothers. Uh, so what did they do? They wanted to kill him, but then they were persuaded uh, to do the next best thing, which is to sell him into slavery. What a wonderful bunch of lads they must have been. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you? Just marvellous. Delightful. Anyway, Jerry Springer would have loved them. <laughs> anyway, the thing is that they sell Joseph into slavery, and of course, um, by God's providence, um, and fortunately for the people of Egypt and the people of Canaan, he is a brilliant um, young man, and he comes to organise um, how to get the, the great state of Egypt and, and surrounding places through the famine by uh, saving up all the grain for seven years of plenty and then spending it um, uh, wisely um, over time. Uh, the British Chancellor of the Exchequer, George Osborne, uh, he has a phrase about when he cuts back our budget so that you know we don't have any money for people who are poor. Um, he says, uh, "You don't." I do advise, You don't fix the you fix the roof while the sun is shining, which is a very good phrase actually. I don't agree with his politics, but it's a very good phrase. Um, anyway, uh, so that was what Joseph did. They fixed the roof while the sun was shining, so they had enough when the sun wasn't shining. And that's what they did. Uh, but the root of the story is this dysfunctional family. And of course it all comes right at the end, because they go to get grain from the stores in Egypt, and uh, Joseph has this little funny business, you know, and winds them up a bit, and, and things and sort of gets his own back. Um, but then in the end it ends with the marvellous, um, So Jacob came to Egypt, no longer feeling old. And Joseph came to meet him in his chariot of gold. Of gold. <laughs> yeah, it's a great finish. But it is a story about what, I, I think you have the same phrase, we call it a dysfunctional family. Yeah? Any family where 11 brothers want to kill one of the brothers because he's a father's favourite, and instead they do the next best thing and sell him into slavery, that's a dysfunctional family, okay? You, 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 you know, if you, if you were the teacher of one of those boys, you'd be calling social services or whatever the US equivalent is um, to get them involved with some family counselling and family therapy. But the Bible's full of it, isn't it? Full of dysfunctional families of brothers and sisters and parents who just don't get on. Cain and Abel. Yeah? Big time, didn't get on, one killed the other. Because oh, yeah. he was able. Oh, yeah, able. Thank you, Bertie. <laughs> Bert. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Now, uh, let's think brother. Well, Jacob. Jacob and Esau. My brother Esau. No, my brother Jacob is a hairy man, but I'm a smooth man. Or was it the other way around? They obviously hadn't heard of Remington. Anyway, so that was that that's another. Um, Big-time dysfunctional family. And we have a really, really bad case in the second book of Samuel this morning. Because uh, this uh, Absalom is one of the sons of King David. Okay? Now, there are several things about Absalom. Uh, clearly, he wasn't very good at riding a mule. Because <laughs> if you, you can't see a socking great oak tree... <laughs> Now, I've got a theory about this. I don't know. What, I think he was texting. 
I, I don't know if that thought is borne out by the Hebrew. Uh, I have to ask a proper biblical scholar other than myself. Um, but uh, anyway, somehow or other, through sheer incompetence, and boy, do I know a lot about incompetence, um, he got himself a little like this. And, uh, and because it's in part this, this terrible battle that's going on, um, you know, people were fairly merciless um, then. I mean, people were fairly merciless in war now. We see enough of that horribleness on our screens um, for you all to know what I'm talking about. But it was even more ghastly then. You, you, know, you can take prisoners. And uh, that's what happened to Absalom. So David's very upset because Absalom is one of his sons. But why have they fallen out? Okay, it's dysfunctional enough, they've fallen out. The reason they've fallen out is that Absalom has a sister, Tamar, and they have a joint half-brother, who's also David's, um, David's son, and the half-brother raped his half-sister, Tamar. Absalom takes vengeance on him and kills him, and David doesn't talk to him for two years, won't even see him. Okay? He flees off to his in-laws and then comes back, and David won't see him and they fall out. I mean, that is pretty, even by biblical standards, that's a pretty horrible set of circumstances, isn't it? Yeah? Ghastly. Ghastly, ghastly, ghastly. But, when Absalom is killed, of course, all the grief pours out of David's heart still at the loss of his son, despite all this horribleness that has gone on. There are more... But those, I think, are enough horribleness for one pleasant Sunday morning. <laughs> the point is that in all of those terrible relationships, all of the people involved would have, till their dying day, held uh, guilt, sorrow, and pain in their hearts. And I reckon any human being who's been alive for longer than about ten minutes to some extent, carries grief, sorrow, and pain, and guilt in their hearts. It's all part of being human. Now, some of us may be unbelievably saintly, and some of us may be too young to feel those things or recognise those feelings. And he's bouncing up and looking at his mum at the moment. <laughs> um, and there may be some others of you too. Um, but the truth about the human condition is actually that a lot of our lives may be not as extreme as Cain and Abel and Jacob and Esau and David and Absalom and all the rest of it, but lots of our bits of our lives are at least approaching that. We all have broken relationships, I know I do. We all have great griefs and sorrows and guilt, I know I do. So why am I saying all this? Well, actually, we live in a culture um, where actually things we think can be smoothed over. We think all diseases can be cured. You know. We think that um, all the economic woes of the planet can be cured. Um, if everybody, I read a statistic recently, if everybody on Earth lived in the same way that the United States and British and German and French citizens do, we'd need five planets. <laughs> it's a thought, isn't it? Yeah? So our, our condition is, if not impossible to fix... It's certainly very difficult. And for most of our sorrows and regrets, we carry them for the rest of our lives. A wise person once said to me that with grief in particular, um, your grief never gets smaller. It's just that the rest of your life, by God's grace, expands to overwhelm it. Um, and I think that's a very wise thought. But I point you towards the Gospel. 
And the gospel um, doesn't say uh, that everything will be okay. It doesn't make that promise. What Jesus says is that I will feed you because I am the bread of life. Now some of us here have got plenty of reserves to go on for quite a few weeks without actually eating, um, but it wouldn't necessarily be a very pleasant experience. We know what physical hunger um, is like sometimes. Uh, perhaps if you got you know, lost in the mountains here for a few hours, you'd certainly A, get scared, and B, get hungry. Um, and some of us may have been poor, or maybe still are poor, and we know what hunger is. Uh, when I was a child, we were so poor as a family that the state had to give us school lunches um, to eat. So we, you know, I at least know what poverty and hunger is about. And our griefs and our sorrows and our regrets are a spiritual hunger. We would love everything to be perfect. We would love our lives to be whole and joyous. And as joyous as they are, there is always something. And what Jesus says when he says, I am the bread of life, is that with me, you can go through those things. You can move beyond them. Because I will feed you and sustain you. And the pangs of hunger, I will quell. And today, as we gather at the altar, for those of us who are of a, a, a Catholic disposition, Jesus is the bread of life present in his body and blood on the altar as a means of God's grace in our lives to sustain and revive us and to pull us through grief and sorrow. And my prayer is that for all of you here, however great or small the vicissitudes of life might have been, that in this place, with its glorious and wonderful and famous view of the Teton Mountains <laughs> and God's creation surrounding you, at this altar you may find the sustaining bread of life in your mouth and in your heart forever. Because the other side of the gates of heaven, everything will be made in you. On Friday, I uh, conducted the Requiem Mass for a, uh, a dear lady in Jackson. Uh, it was a huge crowd of people, which was a testament to her, a wonderful testament to her. Um, but I read the words of the 21st chapter of the book of Revelation, um, where St John presents this vision of a world made new. People to whom he wrote were persecuted horribly by the Romans, and uh, he had this vision that God gave him that everything won't be right now, but it will be when God chooses to make it all new. And that is the day of resurrection, the other side of the pearly gates, when all those things will be no more. Sorrow and crying and pain. So live in hope and live in joy for we live in the now but not quite yet time. Amen. Amen.